Welcome to the podcast that helps you build wealth and thrive in a world of out of control central banks and big governments. This is the Rebel Capitalist Show. Hello, fellow Rebel Capitalists. Hope you're well. I hope you're having a fantastic weekend, getting close to the holidays. Very exciting. All right. Before we get going, I'd like to encourage you guys to check out rebelcapitalistlive.com. We got the next event set. It's planned. It's going to be Orlando, May 12th through the 14th. Uh, We're going to have some amazing speakers. We've got maybe uh, three or four of them already solidified, and we'll be adding to that. We'll probably have 12 or 13 speakers total. You guys know the people that have been there in the past, like Robert Kiyosaki, Dr. Ron Paul, Richard Werner, Brent Johnson, Jeff Snyder, just to name a few. So if you want to see the people that we've had in the past or what this event might look like, uh, you can hear some testimonials and whatnot from people who have been there before. Uh, You can check that out at rebelcapitalistlive.com. And if you get your tickets right now, you're going to get a better price because as we get closer to the event, the price goes up. And uh, we could sell out. The very first event that I did, we completely sold out. And I had to stop selling tickets about two months or maybe a month and a half prior to the event. So you don't want to get... You don't, you don't want to be one of those people that misses out on this incredible opportunity to hear these speakers and hang out with fellow rebel capitalists just to, just because you wait to the last minute. <laughs> so that's my pitch for the night, rebelcapitalistlive.com. All right, let's get into the questions, guys. See what we got going on here. Your best guest, 10-year treasury, June. I, I think you, you meant June 20. 23. <laughs> I'm not to make fun of you, Gianna, here, but that that is a, a pretty uh that is a pretty bad typo. <laughs> uh so I assume you mean 2023, not 3023. Um, I have no idea <laughs> what, what things will look like in 1000 years. Okay, so uh not to poke funny at you there, Gianna. It's a, it's, it is a good question. So in 2023, June, so next summer, what does the 10-year look like? Boy, if you know, I always have to preface by saying there are no certainties, only probabilities. And and I think this is just a coin toss, but I'd, I'd probably say in June. I would probably say lower. I know that sounds bananas, but June, summer, uh, yeah, looking at the yield curve and the euro dollar future curve, I, I would say probably lower than it is right now at what, 3.4, 3.5, something. I mean, I could make a great argument as to why it would be way higher, but uh, that that's probably what I would guess. Keep in mind, I, I have a feeling you might be asking this question because you're trying to figure out what mortgage rates are going to look like. Usually that's why people ask that question uh, because they want to figure out, is, is now a good time to buy a house? You know, should I lock in a 30-year mortgage right now? I know the rates are a lot higher than they have been, but uh, shoot, if I don't do it now and rates go to you know, 1970s levels, and I'm never going to be able to buy a house because it's going to be totally unaffordable. Um, so my point there is just because we have low rates doesn't necessarily mean that you can get debt. You'll probably still be able to get, be able to get a mortgage if you are you know, have a good credit score and whatnot. But uh, I remember in 2012, interest rates were zero back then, and I, I couldn't get a loan to save my butt. I had a, a huge portfolio full of rental properties that I paid for in cash that had rent rolls coming in and the bank would not give me a loan on that equity, 100% equity. 
They wouldn't even give me a 40% LTV loan at any price uh, or any interest rate. So just keep in mind, just because we do have low interest rates or quote unquote cheap money doesn't necessarily mean money is loose. People conflate those two things inaccurately. They, they think cheap money and loose money are one and the same. That's not true. What does my diet look like? That's an interesting question. Um, I actually do. I, so I've got a gal that does all my my cooking for me here in, in Medellin. And uh, it's pretty much whatever I want. I, I've always eaten pretty healthy just because my that's the way I was raised. But on the weekends, you know, I, I eat out at restaurants a lot and whatnot. So, but during the week, pretty it is pretty just set in stone. <laughs> so usually I have uh, the, the gal makes me uh, papaya, fresh papaya, which is great here in Medellin, uh, chicken breast and egg whites. And then for lunch, I have this uh, kind of rice dish that has more uh, chicken breast in it. And then for dinner, I'll have a, a large salad with, um, I kind of mix it up. Sometimes I do salmon and chicken breast. Sometimes I do buffalo and uh, and chicken breast or buffalo and salmon. Um, that's pretty much kind of like my Monday through Friday diet. And then usually after I get done doing the uh, kind of the live streams for the Rebel Capitalist channel, Monday through Friday, I go to the gym about three or four o'clock and I'll go there in the morning, do cardio. And then I go there uh, in the afternoon to just do anaerobic stuff. And uh, that's kind of Monday through Friday. And uh, sometimes if I'm, if I'm really trying to you know, improve my health, I'll, I'll do like a protein shake or something like that before I go. to. The gym. That's the diet. You said when the Fed goes bankrupt, they will begin using IOUs. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Have they done this in the past? Yeah, they're doing it right now. So if you go to their balance sheet, you can see it's it's this specific report they have. I'm looking at my tabs because I actually might have it pulled up. Yes, I do. No, I don't. <laughs> I thought I had it pulled up because I was talking to Joseph Wang about it, but uh, I don't remember. Ah, here it is. So it is at federalreserve.gov forward slash releases forward slash H41. So I think this is the the eight the H dot four dot one report they do. I believe this is weekly. Pretty sure this is weekly. And this shows an up. I'm looking at it right now. This shows an updated balance sheet. Actually, you know what? I could probably do a screen share. Let me do a quick screen share. Okay, cool. So let's go right here. Federal Reserve statistical release H4. So they start off which is kind of their general assets, then the liabilities. And then you got to go all the way down to where you get into some more detail about the, uh, I guess it would be on the asset side of their balance sheet, wouldn't it? Or maybe it's just a negative to the liability side. Here it is. In the in the six, you got to scroll down quite a bit here, as you guys can see. But uh, you've got to look for the earnings remittances due to the U.S. Treasury. And uh, you can see that that it's a cumulative total from all of the Federal Reserve banks. And right now, this is at a negative $13 billion. So that's how many of these, they're called deferred assets, uh, that they have on their balance sheet, which is basically the Fed saying, the Treasury owes us this money, the Treasury's not going to pay it. So what we're going to do is we're going to book future profit that we will pay the treasury as an asset on our balance sheet today. It's it's totally bogus. 
And even if you want to argue, well, George, it's it's technically something that you can do in gap accounting, which is generally accepted accounting principles, because uh, like insurance companies do it, or I think some companies do it if they if they prepay taxes or something like that. But come on, th- this is complete nonsense. We all know that the Federal Reserve is not using it in the spirit of gap accounting. Do you think residential REITs are a good alternative for investors who want rental income but don't want to deal with tenants and toilets? Uh, yeah, but I mean, you just want to buy them when they're cheap, and I don't know that they're they're, they're cheap right now. I haven't, I haven't looked at the price, so I don't know what type of yield they're they're offering. I mean, as an example, if they're offering, and I don't know how that how risky the the yield. I don't know if it's like a dividend that's might be lowered or I think they have to pay a dividend, don't they? But maybe, you know, they're not making profit. I don't know. I, I think it all depends on the underlying assets and the underlying cash flows that make up the REIT itself. And I, I know you've got residential here, but you know, is that apartments? Where are the apartments? I mean, it, as an example, you said, um, do I think a residential REIT based on Kenny McElroy's properties uh, is a good alternative? I'd say, yeah, probably. But uh, that's because I know Kenny uh, is going to be an incredible manager. And I also know Kenny is going to buy the right properties in the right areas like you know, Arizona, Texas. Uh, I think he's got a couple in Utah and a couple in Oklahoma. So uh, maybe you know he might venture into Florida or something like that. So uh, if, if there was another REIT, let's say, that had all apartment complexes in in Los Angeles and throughout California, I'd say, no, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. And then, of course, you'd want to buy it at a a cheap price. So that's kind of how I'd think through that. Then you always have to say compared to what. And um, remember, right now, you can get a 4.5% yield just on a one-year treasury, one-year T-bill, maybe maybe even six-month T-bill. I don't know what the six-month is trading at right now. But uh, so you've you've got to consider that, right? because I don't know if the REIT is going to really appreciate with the rate of inflation. Uh, supposedly housing does, but that's when it's at a normal price. I don't know if the nominal value of residential homes is going to stay up with the rate of inflation when we're at all-time highs. A little different set of probability. We can see a lot of downward pressure on nominal prices just over the last few months, which makes a lot of sense especially if interest rates are, are going up and this interest, these interest rate hikes that we've seen take time to work their way through the entire system. So, And then also keep in mind that it's, it's, it's not just the nominal price going up. Let's just say the nominal price of residential homes stays the same. And I know that maybe this isn't applicable to the, the REIT question, but more in general for uh, people considering buying residential real estate right now, even if the price stays the same for five years, it doesn't mean you're not losing money because if we have 10% inflation, let's just say averaged for the, over the next five years, you compound that, that's a big number. That's a big number of purchasing power that you're losing because the nominal price of the house stays the same. The real value adjusted for inflation goes down significantly. Just things to consider. What real estate markets will you be primarily focused on in a downturn? Well, this is a great question. Florida, for sure. I mean, I don't know, probably the same markets that I was focused on in 2012. And that was just, as my buddy Jason Hartman says, the linear markets. Like I'll never be a California guy or a New York or any of these markets that go way, way, way up, way, way down. I don't like that. That's not, that's not my style. So I would look at uh, Kansas City. You know, it's a market that I know <laughs> obviously extremely well from 2012. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
I'd probably start there. And then I'd also probably look at linear markets that I think have a lot of tailwind, like uh, Nashville. Indianapolis always seems to be a good market, but I don't know how that would be in, uh, yeah, I, that would be on the radar. But then a lot of the markets in Florida, Miami wouldn't be, but a lot of the other markets in Florida, I would definitely uh, put on the radar. Phoenix is just becoming too cyclical. And then Texas, I like Texas, but I mean, Austin and Dallas, now they're like kind of these markets that go way up and way down. So I don't really like that. But maybe in Texas, if you kind of got into maybe uh, like San Antonio or maybe Houston, but maybe there's some areas there that, that might be interesting. I, I, I would, bottom line, I would just look for those same type of linear markets that I was looking at in 2012 when I first got into real estate investing, where the prices don't just fluctuate wildly and uh, the cash flow relative to the price of the house is usually pretty good. What do you anticipate? What do you anticipate you will specifically buy in 2023 if market becomes more fav favorable? Commodities, uh, copper. I mean, I love copper. Uh, nickel, I think is great. Coal is probably one of my favorites. Lead, I think could be interesting. Oil, uranium, the gold miners. I'm sure I'm leaving out a few, but those are, are kind of top of the list for me. What are my views on India? I haven't looked into it specifically, but I like the fact that it is, I, I, like, I definitely like the way that they're handling the whole Russian nonsense deal uh, in, in Ukraine, where they're just taking a back seat saying, listen, we're, we're not really going to comment on it. It's just, we're just going to focus on India. <laughs> I think that's usually, uh, that's going to be a, a good decision when we look back in retrospect. And I also like this, well, I don't know, like is the right word. I think this alliance that's being formed with the BRIC countries is interesting. Russia, China, India, you know, Saudi Arabia, I don't know if you want to throw South Africa in there, but definitely Brazil. And, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to move away from the dollar. They've got a lot of commodities, got a lot of manufacturing. China doesn't have very good demographics at all. But some of the other countries have better demographics, I guess, than maybe the West. So and it seems that India is kind of right there in the, the mix. So that would, that would interest me, but it would just really interest me in, in, in doing more homework. And I haven't done that, so I can't give you like a specific answer there. I wish I could. Whereas um, Dubai, I could probably give you a more specific answer there. Uh, Turkey. Istanbul. I, I'm, I'm interested in those areas. I think Dubai is going to most likely benefit. And I, I'm just reiterating what my good buddy, Chris McIntosh, all the work he's done on this. But I do think Dubai will benefit substantially from this BRIC nations coming together with this alliance. And what I think is most likely going to be a bifurcation of the world, going back to the way it looked in the Cold War. Not that that's a good thing, but I just think that's kind of the direction we're headed, unfortunately. So in that world, where's your financial hub for those BRIC countries? Probably going to be Dubai. And uh, if Dubai is the next London or New York or Hong Kong or something like that, um, for me, you know, a, a real estate guy at heart, uh, that could present some really interesting opportunities, especially the last couple of years, their market has gone up quite a bit, but from 2015 to 2020, their market got annihilated. I mean, 
crushed. And I'm talking about the real estate market. They had just one bad thing happen after after the other, uh, which caused their prices to really, really, really get cheap. So, and when I'm talking about cheap, I'm talking about relative to the, the cash flow for the rents, especially in some of these incredible landmark buildings they have. So not to go too far off tangent, but those are kind of my thoughts on on the area right now and kind of the brick nations coming together. And uh, I'm going to Portugal in the middle of January. And uh, at the end of January, I think I might shoot over to Dubai just to talk to some real estate agents and do some boots on the ground research there uh, to see if maybe I might want to invest in real estate there in the future. BLS revision of labor statistics, how much damage was done to the economy with the revelation of revisions that came out referencing Van Meter's video. I didn't see Van Meter's video. I'm sure it was good. Uh, I did see on Zero Hedge, I think, was talking about some revisions that have come out. Uh, it's not surprising. I mean, the the unemployment numbers or the employment numbers were, were really the outlier. Uh, everything else, when you look at the yield curve and all these other metrics that we look like that we look at in global macro, they're all pointing in the exact same direction, except employment that was pointing in the other direction. And you just kind of think through the bullwhip effect. And you're like, oh, well, this makes a lot of sense. And you know that as soon as the, the the checking account balances come back down to the levels we saw in 2019, especially now with the higher prices, that uh, you very well could go to a, a, a labor shortage to a significant labor surplus, uh, especially when you look at the types of businesses that are really creating a lot of these jobs with travel, retail, it's it's all the business, you know, restaurants, it's all the businesses that saw just a massive demand increase as a result of the stimmy checks. And therefore they went out and just went on a hiring binge just because they thought that this demand would be this last indefinitely into the future. They're not watching this channel. <laughs> so they hire all these people, there's all this demand, wages go up at, at, at within those jobs. The, the Employment numbers look great, but again, those employment numbers, I think, are deceiving because this is just telling us what happened as a result of that sugar rush of demand that most likely we, we won't see headed, heading into 2023. Would you consider FTX scandal a black swan? No, not at all. I don't, I don't see how there's any systemic risk with FTX. What would happen if the mining stocks went on gold standard? I don't see how they wouldn't go up. Uh, well, let, let's just for a moment, Brian, let, let's focus on the price of gold. In order to have a, let's just look at M2 right now is, I guess you wouldn't really have to back M2. It, it really depends on what the gold standard looks like. I mean, is this something where obviously the banknotes would be redeemable for gold, but is the is the ratio base or broad? And I, I think it's, I think last gold standard we had or, or quasi gold standard in the 1900s you know that ended in 71 technically i think that was based on on base right like they had a, a 40 percent. i'd have to research that but i think what they did is they basically had like a you're, you're backing base money with a, a a percent or a percentage of base money is backed by gold and then and then that's a fixed rate so you, you can't so if you're gonna have base money uh backed by, let's say, 50% gold, then you'd have to say, okay, you know, you do a calculation there, and that's going to give you the, the price of gold based on where you need the base money to be. Now, if you're doing it on broad money, see, that's where 
I don't know. I mean, what you do is take M2 and then say, okay, what does the gold price need to be for gold to back, let's say, 50% of M2? And that's going to give you a number that's a hell of a lot higher than $2,000 an ounce. I'll tell you that. But I just, I don't know how, I don't know how that would work. I don't know how that would, I don't know how you'd enforce that. I see, how do you prevent the banks in aggregate total from creating more currency units than the gold that's held by Federal Reserve. I, I don't know. I don't know that you could. I, I think what you do there is you just say, okay, we've got gold that's going to back base money, and then we're going to have a, a reserve requirement for the banks at, let's say, 10%. And we'll just uh, assume that they're going to abide by those rules. But I mean, what we've seen in the past with the euro dollar market, they, they didn't banks just completely ignore whatever the Fed is doing or the regulators. I mean, think about the, the fact that we had a, a gold standard from 1950 to 1971. And look at what we had with the euro dollar market. The euro dollar market wasn't backed by reserve, definitely wasn't backed by gold. That's for sure. It wasn't even backed by green pieces of paper. It was cashless, reserveless. And they just created limitless amounts of dollars. So getting back to your, your, your specific question, I'm not sure how it would really work. I'd have to really think through the mechanics based on the current system and what would be a realistic transition. But my initial assumption would be a high probability of the price of gold being a lot higher, a lot higher in terms of dollars. And therefore, that would give a tailwind to the gold miners. Now, does that mean they go, I don't know. I mean, what, what are their costs doing? Uh, you would assume their costs aren't going up as much, but uh, who knows what type, what the world looks like. But that would, in my opinion, that would give a huge, huge, huge tailwind price of gold. What are your thoughts on law passed in California where physicians give misinformation, disinformation about surveys, sickness? It's, it's, it's Orwellian. It's, it's 1984 in real life. And it's only going to get worse, unfortunately. Definitely going to get worse in California. Hopefully, there'll be a lot of states that push back. It's one of the great things about the United States is to a certain degree, they can compete with one another and people can vote with their feet. So if you don't like what's going on in California, you can move to Florida. I mean, Ron DeSantis is basically doing the opposite of this. I was just listening to the Brett Weinstein podcast, Dark Horse, and I guess uh, Ron DeSantis had Brett and a few other people, that, the guys that wrote the Barrington Declaration, come down there to try to discuss like surveys of sickness policy and where we got it wrong and you know, how we could improve it in the future if, if, if we have to. And uh, he's so Florida is basically the antithesis of California. They're, they're polar opposites. So that's that's great news. And jeez, uh, oh, if you can hear these people yelling. So at holidays in, in Columbia, they, they, they take their holidays very seriously. They celebrate Christmas for like the entire month of december it's not just one day so every single night they're lighting off fireworks and they're they're dancing salsa and, and every it doesn't matter what night it is any day of the week that ends in y <laughs> but anyway back to your your question i think they've hopefully you guys can't hear that but back to your question 
I think it just gets worse in California. And it's going to become very bifurcated, just like the entire world within the United States, where you've got these politicians that are in bed with the World Economic Forum and the global elite. Uh, at least they, they have the identical worldview. And uh, they're going to push this censorship. They're going to want to censor more and more and more and more and more. And uh, I think what Elon Musk is, is trying to do with Twitter, who knows what his real intentions are, but I think what uh, at, at the surface level there, uh, this could be a great pushback. And this is why it's so important. This is why free market capitalism is so important. You know, a lot of people back uh, a year or so you know, for the last few years have said, oh, we, you need the government to come in and micromanage Twitter and these social media platforms. And I was always very hesitant to, to go there. I get it. They're public, uh, you know, the public square. I get it. They're, uh, they're really not private entities. They're really kind of micromanaged by the government. But I, I don't know that the, basically what you're saying, that argument is we need laws to make sure that they're not censoring people like Twitter. But, but in that, effectively, what you're doing there is you're saying, we've got a problem with big government, and we're going to solve it with bigger government. And I was always very hesitant, like, eh, I don't know, that's the right solution. And, I'm, and I always thought that, hey, if these social media platforms are getting bad, that's great. That's fantastic. In fact, the worse they get, the better it is. Because that means it's more likely for people to want to explore some alternative. And recently, I think we've seen this. We've seen the locals really boom. Rumble, I think, is doing well. You know, Russell Brand is really trying to promote his, his Rumble page. Uh, I'm over there, you know, shifts over there. A lot of uh, people in the space, and I think a lot of the, the viewers have kind of made that or starting to make that transition as well. And uh, then you've got the free market working with Elon Musk coming in and say, hey, I'll just buy the whole thing. I, I don't like it. I'm going to buy it. And I'm going to go ahead and try to change the direction. This is this is how the free market works. So that's why I, I hesitate to say the solution for our problems is just bigger government. Um, even if it's bigger government doing something that, that we might approve of, I, I, I really hesitate with that. Hopefully, I've, I've made that point clear. So I think that we're going to see states continue to compete. It's going to get worse in California. It's going to get worse at a federal level. And I think it's going to get worse at a global level because these, uh, you know, the, the Klaus Schwab types, they understand the importance of controlling a narrative. You don't think that he's studied Goebbels in 1930 in Germany? Of course he has. Of course. I mean, the guy was born in 1938 in Germany, for heaven's sakes. So I think he's got a pretty good idea of how that worked <laughs> as far as the use of propaganda and why it's so important to control that message. And uh, I think they're going to continue to try to push that uh, through censorship and trying to claim that, you know, this misinformation and disinformation is dangerous. And therefore, it needs to be banned because grown adults can't make their own decisions. We, we need to protect grown adults from certain words or certain opinions or ideas. It's just, it's utter nonsense. But I think that we should be optimistic because of what we're seeing with the free market working, with Rumble, with locals, with Musk, with Ron DeSantis in uh, Florida. And uh, I, I understand what the global elite want, 
but that doesn't mean that they're going to get it. And uh, I see people really pushing back against this, which um, I think is fantastic. So I, I'm I'm not optimistic on the direction they're going to try to go with this as far as the global elite, but I am optimistic that people will push back because I think we're seeing it play out right in front of our own eyes, even at a state level, considering what Florida is doing. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Probability that oil can be purchased with other currencies, commodities. Do you see price of oil, gold, and DXY? Where do you see? So moving away from the petrodollar is what you're talking about. How does this impact the price of gold and, and the DXY if it does? Obviously, this is a headwind for the dollar. But it doesn't mean that the dollar just plummets on the DXY because this is just one small variable. For those of you who watch this channel consistently, you probably have heard me talk about cross currents in the past. And this is the way I see complex price discovery, if you will. And like the FX market, I don't know that there's any market that's more complex and has more cross currents. But just because you have one cross current kind of going this way, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the direction of the entire tide, right? Or if you have like a tidal wave that comes over or something like that, you just have to consider all these cross currents try to determine which one is going to be more powerful and actually move the needle in terms of price. So I, I think a much bigger cross current to this slow kind of deterioration of the petrodollar would be the, the dollar denominated debt. It's just, it's, it's too much. It's, it's just too massive. And why is that a big deal? Because it's just future demand for dollars. And if you do have these uh, commodity producers, you know, selling in another currency, then that could mean there's less dollar cash flow. And that means the dollar goes up, not down. Because less dollar cash flow is less cash flow to service those debt payments. And it is true over time that if we move away from a petrodollar, there's going to be less and less and less debt globally denominated in dollars. But that that transition takes a long, long time. I've always said that that the way I'll know that the dollar is truly losing its reserve currency status is when the percentage of global debt denominated in dollars really starts to go down significantly. And I don't think, I think we're, we're quite a ways from that happening. Another thing that you've got to, geez, these people are really loud. Let me close the door here, guys. <laughs> really, I've just got my sliding glass door open for my office. Let me close it. I'll be right back. They're, they're really getting loud now. Okay, there we go. Much better, much better.
so yeah, just regarding the dollar denominated debt, I think that's what I'd really focus on. And um, as far as, let's see, oil, hmm, how would that impact the dollar price of oil? If they're moving off the petrodollar, dollar, I don't know that the dollar price of oil would change. I, that does, that's a good question. I'd have to really think that one through. And then gold, I mean, gold is just, uh, I don't know that that really impacts gold because I don't know that that really impacts the dollar to a significant degree for the reasons I just talked about. Now, what could impact the price of gold is if that transition led to a lot of uncertainty as far as the global economy. This is why I've said that gold and the dollar can really go up at the same time because you can envision a world where people are piling into gold because it's it's there's no counterparty risk and people are piling into the dollar uh, because the, the global economy is going into a recession, depression, you name it. So I don't know that there has to be an inverse relationship with gold and the dollar, although although we have seen that over the last, I don't know, say year, I, I think where there's been a pretty consistent inverse relationship between the DXY and and gold. Those are my thoughts. I, I don't know if I've given you any specific answers, but um, that's kind of just me thinking out loud. What do I think about XRP? I haven't given it a lot of thought in the last six months. I know I did a video on uh, some topics that were relevant to XRP because I remember I got in quite a bit of a, a debate a back and forth with the XRP people on uh, Twitter. They're they're just like everybody else. I mean, they they don't understand the <laughs> the monetary system. Uh, but very, but that's I guess it's not that big of a knock because very few people do. The Bitcoiners don't get it. The the gold bugs don't get it. The Austrians don't get it. The Keynesians don't get it. XRP people don't get it. Uh, so I know that they always say that. Well, XRP is what we're going to transition to because it solves all these problems of the global monetary system, but they don't even understand the global monetary system. So how do you know it's going to fix a problem in something that you don't even fully have your your, your head around? Um, I mean, they, they talk about Nostro accounts and Vostro accounts and that there's all this, these, this liquidity tied up in these accounts. And if we could only use XRP, this is going to unleash that liquidity. So... All these players are going to be incentivized to use XRP. And and uh, I get it. I get it. And uh, you got to keep in mind, I haven't even thought about this for probably six months, nine months. So if I really thought about it again and did another whiteboard video, I could give you another list of 10 things as to, <laughs> as to what, in my opinion, they're, they're not really understanding. So I don't really have a, a view on it. I'm not interested in it in, at, at all. But I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong. That's just kind of my, my view on it. How do I feel physically? Well, I'm getting some interesting questions this evening. Usually it's just strictly the, the macro stuff. How do I feel physically? I'm, I'm pretty well. You know, 2023, it's kind of my New Year's resolution to really get back up to 100%. And I always keep myself very fit. I've done that my entire life. I've never been uh, overweight. I've, In fact, my weight since I've been like maybe 21, 22 years old. Uh, and I kind of just 
you know, wasn't just kind of like a scrawny kid. Uh, I don't know that my weight has fluctuated more than maybe 10 or 15 pounds at, at the most my weight's fluctuated my entire life or basically my entire adult life. So like when you guys see me on the whiteboard videos and stuff, like that's pretty much how I've looked since <laughs> like 21 years old or, or as far as my, my body type, right. Or just being kind of uh, slender maybe is the right word. But, uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm in perfect health because I've got uh, a, a real problem with my neck. I've got a herniated disc in my neck. I had to go get an MRI the other day and go to, uh, initially I went to a neurologist because I thought I had some, uh, I thought it was a, that was kind of the issue. But uh, when we did the MRI, they said, now you got a herniated disc in your neck and that's pinching the nerve or something like that. And so then I went to a spine specialist and I've been doing physical therapy a couple times a week, trying to work on that. So I don't have to get surgery. So I've got a couple little issues like that, uh, that I'm really going to try to focus on in 2023. That's why I've really decreased my travel schedule and I'm probably not going to be speaking at any, uh, of these conferences other than just rebel capitals live, because, uh, when I get on a plane, I travel, it just, it, it, it it's not good for my neck and just takes me away from that focus of getting back to a hundred percent. So, uh, yeah, interesting question. Uh, that's what's happening behind the scenes. And, uh, that that's really the only thing that's, uh, bothering me right now, but that's obviously an issue that, uh, I, I want to tackle in, uh, in 2023 for sure. Geez, another, I'm getting a lot of personal questions this evening. That's, that's, Maybe it's just because of the holidays and maybe it's just kind of the macro stuff is out of sight, out of mind, but no, I, I'm happy to answer any questions you guys have. This one is if you were married and thinking about kids, would you, Oh, oh okay. Would you rent or buy? Okay. I, I thought this was asking me uh, if I've ever been married or if I've ever thought about having kids, I, I just glanced at it quickly and thought it was a, a personal question. Okay. If I was married and, and thinking about having kids, would I rent or buy? I would assuming your your name's Doug Johnson, so I'm just going to assume that you're a Gringo Doug. <laughs> you're in the United States. Uh, I would I would I would rent. I would rent if my kids were in school. Then I might consider buying because I would want them in that in that school in a specific school district or around a specific uh, private. I probably send them to a private school, um, but I would want them in that specific area. And even so, the the the, mon the the financial components of making that decision for me would be right out the window. Like I wouldn't care. I'd have, I would not care at all if I was going to lose 100% of my equity on the house. I would not care. Uh, it would be strictly a decision based on you know what's best for for my kids. And so um, the reason I say rent now is because if you're not if you if you're thinking about it, I would that implies to me that you don't already have kids, and so that would and so if they weren't in school, you know, if they're one, two year old, whatever, then I would go ahead and rent because uh, I just don't think it's a great time to buy right now unless you get some sort of smoking deal. It's like where you're buying a dollar for 50 cents. But I, I think that deal would be pretty hard to to come by in this type of market, even with the, the price declines that we've seen in a few markets over the last couple months. What is a Colombian doing keeping up with U.S. politics? I don't understand that question. I I, I don't know. You got to ask a Colombian. I, I'm not sure. Unless you're talking about me being a Colombian. 
Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I would uh, call myself a Colombian, although I spend some time here. What do I feel? Promising investment, two, three years to buy next year? Yeah, commodities, same thing. That's really what I'm, that's, that's like number one on my watch list. Where do, maybe, maybe where do you see Western society going if things stay exactly the same as they are now with respect to the financial system? CBDC, absolutely CBDC, and most likely a ban on cash. Hopefully they, I mean, that's where we really need to push back. I've said that on countless videos, as you guys probably know, the, the CBDC is bad, but when or if they ban cash, that, that's where it's gone. You're, you're done. You're done. So we, we cannot allow them to ban cash as little as we use it. And then I actually had this uh, conversation with, with Patrick Serezna the other day. You guys, I'm sure know Patrick from, from Macro Voices. He's actually in Medellin. We've been hanging out. We played golf yesterday, and uh, we've gone out uh, to dinner the last couple nights and had a lot of fun. But uh, we had this, this conversation where if the West does go to a CBDC and if they do ban cash, you know, what do you do from a standpoint of freedom and liberty, assuming that you do have some flexibility and you've got some resources? And I told him that you know, for me, that's, that's hanging out in emerging markets where although they may institute a CBDC, there's a very low probability that they ban cash. Very, very low. Why? Because 99% of the transactions currently are in cash. And I would use Colombia as an example there. Sure, when you're in Medellin and you're going to nice restaurants, not too many people use cash. Actually, I'll bet you, I'll bet it's still probably 50-50. But uh, you see a lot of people using cards and whatnot. But just go out to a strata four or three or something like that, or just even out a mile outside the city, and it's going to be like 100% cash <laughs> for everything. So it's, again, I, I think there is a possibility that a Columbia might implement a CBDC, but I think they would, I don't think they could actually ban cash. And that's where, I mean, a CBDC in, in general is bad, but uh, once you cross that threshold of no more cash, that's when they're, you're at the point of no return. So that's the direction I see the financial system heading in the West. And that's what I'm, those are my personal thoughts on how I would, uh, how I would push back. Number one, don't let them ban cash in the West. And if they, if they do, then I would look to kind of go and spend more time in areas where uh, it's going to be much more difficult for them to pull that off. Okay, guys, let's I'm try to find one more question here. Will gold mining stocks, oil field service stocks crash? Or will the big players put their money market crashes because they're underinvested? I have no idea. I have no no idea. I, I, I mean, I can talk about gold, the price of gold, the price of oil. But to get into the specific stocks, that's just not my area of expertise. That's why I do Rebel Capitalist Pro with Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh and guys like Patrick Sresna and Brent Johnson, because they are the pros that really get into the weeds as, as far as, you know, what will happen to individual industries and whatnot, and then how you can build a portfolio around that. For me, I just really focus on the whole macro component of it. And I, I don't tend to get down into the weeds too much, but let's, let's kind of reframe this in terms of 
the price of gold and the price of oil. And I do see potential for that to come down significantly in 2023. Why? Because if you if we have a soft landing, then, then probably not. But what we've seen is if we have a financial crisis, if we have a, a, another type of GFC or Cerveza sickness or something like that, where there's just, there's no liquidity, people sell gold. That's the only thing on their balance sheet that's liquid. So it gets sold. And if you look at what happened in March of 2020, if you look at what happened at Lehman Brothers, you see gold just gets smoked. But it's usually very temporary. And what that indicates, if history is giving us any lesson, is a buying opportunity. So that that's my case for gold and, and oil too, because if we get a significant recession, that's going to impact the demand side, although demand for oil is very inelastic. I, I totally get that. But you're still going to have, uh, if we have a, a, a big financial crisis or if we have a economic recession slash depression in 2023, most likely oil comes down, uh, even though there are significant long-term supply constraints. And I, I think inflation, we could even have deflation. I talked about that on a video, on a whiteboard video the other day. Uh, it's probably not my base case, but, and it's definitely, I'm a believer that the 2020s will be an inflationary decade. But if you go back to the GFC and we had what, six months, three months of actual deflation, uh, that, that can easily happen in a, in a financial crisis. And in that situation, and the reason I keep going back to a financial crisis is just looking at the yield curve, just looking at the bond market. And in that environment, uh, gold and oil can can come down substantially. That's not a prediction. That's just what I've observed from looking at the charts uh, in the past. All right, guys, let's do some shout outs here. Who do we have on the line or on the stream? Oh, my gosh. We've got a lot of comments here. Okay, we've got a hey, market mania in the house. Congratulations. But I'm assuming you're getting close to 20,000 subscribers. Job well done. Keep cranking out the awesome content. Believe in yourself. Doc Fish, Circle the Wagons, Nota Spider, Fatal 9998, uh, Andrew Moore Aller, Christopher Kirwin, Moody the Millennial in the house, <laughs> Gabriel Duran, Beach Bum Trading, Raven Mad, Zero Silver Hawk, All Nighter Hider in the house. Good to see him too. Boba, Stephen. Tira Longo, Jason, Jason Bourne. Wow. That's a, that's a big deal. We've got Jason Bourne on the live stream. <laughs> wow. Straight from the movies. Spock 2024. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the holidays. It's going to be a lot of fun. Take some time off, relax a little bit. But make sure you continue to watch the George Gammon channel. <laughs> and make sure you buy your tickets to Rebel Capitalist Live. The perfect Christmas gift, I might add. My goodness, I didn't even think about that. What what could what is a better Christmas gift than buying someone tickets to Rebel Capitalist Live? I think the only thing that would be better is buying them a subscription to Rebel Capitalist Pro. <laughs> All right, guys, enjoy your evening. We'll see you in the next video. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Capitalist Show. For more content like this, check out The Rebel Capitalist blog at georgegammon.com or go to The George Gammon YouTube channel.